Our confessional reading this afternoon is from Lord's Day 15. Lord's Day 15 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 878 in the back of our Trinity hymnals or on page 216 in our Forms and Prayers book. Lord's Day 15, concerning the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Reading at verse, or sorry, at uh, Heidelberg Catechism, question 37. What do you understand by the word suffered that during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race? This he did in order that, by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? So that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes, by this death I am convinced that he shouldered the curse which lay on me, since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. Thus far from our Heidelberg Catechism, and now let us turn to several passages of scripture in the New Testament. First, we turn to John chapter 19. John 19, verse 12 to 16. And here the context is Jesus on trial before Pontius Pilate. Thus far, earlier in the chapter, Pilate has declared two times. He says, I find no fault in this man. He is perfectly innocent. And yet the trial goes on further, and thus we read at John 19 and verse, verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat, in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. For they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. And then turning to the book of Romans, to Romans chapter 3, at verse 21 to 25. Paul's letter to the church at Rome, the third chapter, 
in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then to Romans chapter 5, we read verse 8 and 9. Romans 5, verse 8 and 9. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. And then lastly, to Galatians chapter 3, turning ahead a short ways in your Bible, Bibles, to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So far from God's holy word we read. <clears throat> Congregation of our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, it must have very often been on the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ in his earlier years, what the prophets had been writing about him, that he indeed would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, that he would be smitten and afflicted of God. As a young lad, we would think our Lord Jesus Christ would have learned the Holy Scriptures, perhaps in a way like us, from our mother's knee and from our father's lips, learning those Holy Scriptures. And as he did that, he began to see fairly quickly that the Scriptures were speaking of him and that he was the one who must obtain their salvation according to his father's will that he himself must fulfill all righteousness for himself first, but then also for us, that he indeed must be that suffering servant of Jehovah. Jesus Christ began to be acquainted as a young lad about the very work that his father had set him to do. And here's the thing, congregation, he had to realize that he was to be going to a cross, can you imagine if that was something you knew early on in your very early on in your life that you had to go to a cross? That would have been on the mind of Jesus. It already created a sense of suffering in his own soul 
long before he actually hang upon the cross. He had prophesied to his disciples a number of times. He had spoken to them several times already about this very thing, that they indeed were headed towards Jerusalem and that there would be a cross there waiting for him. For example, in Matthew 20 at verse 18, he said to his disciples, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. Jesus knew where he had to be. And the third day, he will rise again. That too, we can never leave off, can we? But the thought that he knew he had to go to the cross. And that brings us to our theme, congregation, Christ suffered the wrath of God for us. It finally comes down to the crunch, and this is it. He had to go to the cross in order to bear the sin of the whole human race for the salvation of his own people. And so we see in the first place, congregation, the, the nature and the extent of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then secondly, the beneficial effect of Christ's suffering. Again, we go to our catechism to kind of form the structure for our sermon this afternoon at Lord's Day 15 in question 37. It says, what do you understand by the word suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained, eh? he, he bore, he upheld that suffering in body and soul, the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. There's that word, wrath, wrath. Wrath is a very biblical word. It's a word that means the righteous indignation of God against human sin. We see the Apostle Paul also use that very same word in Romans 5 and verse 9. Concerning Jesus, he says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath, from wrath, through him. In order for Jesus Christ to save us from the eternal wrath of God, he simply had to take that wrath upon himself, that wrath that now already lies upon unbelievers as they stay in their unbelief. The wrath of God even now abides on them. John 3, verse 36 and that was Christ who suffered himself for his own people. It was the substitution of Christ for sinners that exposed Jesus full force to the awful wrath of God against sinners. Catechism says it again that during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Such was the, the nature and the extent of Jesus' suffering, enduring divine fury or indignation as the only just response that God could give to the sin of the whole human race. 
that nature of Christ's suffering was far more than the rejection of men and their hatred and hostility against him. No, it was much more. It was receiving, in effect, the eternal condemnation of God with regard to our sins, not because he was a sinner, but simply because he took our sin upon himself in our place. He, he stood in our place to receive all that condemnation of you and of me. One writer says it this way, the wrath of God was not against our Lord personally because he was without sin, but against the sinners whom he represented. Jesus, in his own flesh, he suffered the infinite wrath this is to say, a wrath we cannot begin to measure or to calculate in terms of its intensity, its severity, yet that was the wrath of God that was condemning him for our sin. And that, I believe, was in particular the agonizing spiritual suffering that he endured on the cross, even describing the deep agonies of hell on the cross. Another writer says it this way, it was as if when the it was as if when the bolts of divine vengeance were launched against sinners, our Lord Himself, our Lord put Himself before His people, sheltering them with His own person and receiving those bolts of divine vengeance on His own body and soul. We would say that Jesus stood in harm's way to block, to shield, to separate us from that awful wrath of God. And that's really what the word propitiation means. A bit of a tough word. Maybe it's new to some of you. Propitiation. It means to stand in the way of that divine wrath so it doesn't touch us, so it cannot consume us, but we're kept entirely safe and free from us, from us so that indeed we may be saved instead. Saved instead. That was the nature. That was the extent of Christ's suffering. And that is what we read Paul speaking of in verse of Romans 3, verse 25. Speaking of Jesus, he says, whom God sent forth as a propitiation. Very important word. You've got to know it. Propitiation, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood. Meaning, of course, through his suffering, causing his blood to be shed through his faith, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Through faith in Jesus Christ, congregation, you receive the propitiation of Christ, the propitiatory work of the Lord Jesus Christ, wherein you are shielded from that wrath. One commentator calls Christ's propitiation the wrath-removing sacrifice. Oh, please, don't, for, don't forget that wrath certainly is there. That wrath has got to be expended for God's justice to be satisfied. We can never get away from that. But here's the thing. We are shielded from it. 
so that it doesn't touch us, it doesn't consume us, it doesn't consign us to eternal hell. And you know what? That's what I needed to be shielded, to be saved. That is what you needed to be kept from that divine wrath of God. The Catechism also calls it in the second half to question 37. He says, Christ did this in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us body and soul from eternal life. Now the word atoning sacrifice and propitiation kind of stand together. To atone means to cover up or to, again, shield away from and to put away sin. And the only way that sin can possibly be put away is only if it is taken up by the Lord Jesus Christ and he becomes our sin and then he gets punished for our sins to boot. He takes that which is ours and makes it his own. And in that way, you see, God's justice is fully served toward us, not against us, but toward his only begotten Son, whom he loved. And that's why question 38 speaks of Jesus suffering the severe judgment of God that was to fall upon us. Again, there's that idea of representation and shielding us from what we deserve. Question 38 asks, why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Well, so that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from that severe judgment of God that was to fall upon us. Well, we need to look now at Pontius Pilate for a moment. He was the chief judge, the civil judge in Palestine. He being, of course, the Roman governor appointed by the Roman emperor, was the highest authority in the land of Palestine, Palestine being a Roman province at this time. Pontius Pilate was, was, was authorized to legally administer justice, even to be able to sentence a per person to death, administer the death penalty. And thus Pilate was the legal authority appointed by God. Hey, remember Romans 13 verse 1, all authorities, of course, are appointed by God, Pilate included. And so here we see Pilate unknowingly passing judgment that was ordained by God in history. Congregation, this is for the record. It's in the history books for the record to demonstrate it actually did take place. The Jews, of course, brought Jesus to Pilate with all kinds of trumped up charges, like the fact that he claimed to be a king. And that, of course, would make Jesus guilty of sedition or treason against Caesar. And we read of that in John 19 and verse 12. Listen carefully. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. He said twice already, I find no fault in him. And so Pilate sought to release Jesus. 
But the, G the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And that's what they now had on Jesus. Jesus deserves to die because of treasonous activity against the emperor. But on the part of the Jews, this was only a pretext for bringing Jesus to Pilate's judgment seat, judging Jesus for blasphemy because he said he was the son of God. Another crime that makes Jesus worthy of death. On two counts now, they've got Jesus nailed, they figure, both on sedition and now on blasphemy, saying that he is the son of God. And thus we see the Jews had it all together to destroy our Lord Jesus Christ. They already had rejected him as king and were also rejecting him as their God. Of their own admission, they say that they had no king but Caesar. Looking at verse 14 of John 19, now it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. As if to say, maybe now I can get him off the hook. Behold your king, says Pilate to them. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. The truth came out of their mouths. We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and they led him away. Well, congregation, by these events, we see how our God, our Father in heaven, passed severest judgment upon Jesus by this appointed means of an earthly judge, so that Jesus, though innocent, would still be condemned to death by crucifixion. Crucifixion. And thus he would bear the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. See how God is using Pilate to enable our salvation to fully come to pass, to bear the curse that was ours. And yet at the same time we have to say, oh, did our Lord Jesus ever suffer under Pontius Pilate? So that he actually was condemned. He had to be condemned, you see. It had to be written for the record, just as surely Jesus had to have been born in Bethlehem for the record to show he genuinely was a man, he was a person who would finally go to a, a cross. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate as judge, as question 38 states. The congregation, what was the nature and the extent of Jesus' suffering? It was the travesty of justice. It was the cruelest injustice you could possibly imagine. He had to suffer the vicious hatred and the violence of men on the one hand, and yet, though innocent, he still suffered that injustice. For indeed... He really was the king of the Jews, and he certainly was no blasphemer. Indeed, he was the son of God, 
And yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, Isaiah prophesied, to put him to grief when he made his soul an offering for sin. Yes, our Lord Jesus Christ not only had to suffer at the hands of cruel men, but to suffer the infinite wrath of God for our sakes. And that brings us then secondly to the beneficial effects of Jesus' suffering. We've touched on it already, but here we see it in, in, in full bore, so to speak. And thus the question at verse 39, is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes, by his death I am convinced that he shouldered the curse for me, which lay on me, and since death by crucifixion was cursed of God. Brothers and sisters, we have to readily admit that we are cursed because of our sin. That word curse literally means to be damned because of our sin. And now Jesus had to be cursed with God's curse-bearing wrath which lay upon us in order to deliver you and me out of that horrible predicament and enslavement and depravity of our human sinfulness. No, things don't get pretty here, do they? We need to call a spade a spade. We need to call what sin deserves our damnation. And that is what we read of in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Is this what it takes, really, for you to become righteous and to enter heaven? Yes, nothing less, nothing less than this. For so the scriptures teach, for so Jesus Christ had to suffer. He had to suffer the curse of God or saying it slightly different, he had, to serve, he had to suffer the curse of God's law, that curse that comes upon lawbreakers because they are supposed to be in complete obedience to God's holy law, and if they don't, they have no other recourse but to be cursed, to be damned of God. I think this helps us to understand how horrible is the character of our sin. I hope you get the message that shows how terribly wicked our sinfulness is, how horribly offensive our sin is before God, that we need to be cursed because of our sin. We need to be consigned to the lowest hell. We do. If not, Christ would have never been cursed. But he was cursed to receive what belonged to us. And so again, the big question, is it significant, the catechism says, is it, is it really important that he was crucified instead of dying some other 
way. Here we have this dear, wonderful, perfectly holy man, Jesus of Nazareth, their perfection of love, their perfection of kindness and mercy, the very Son of God being crucified, hence being cursed for you who believe on him. For the catechism, catechism says he shouldered, hey, to shoulders to put the weight of something above you, and you got to shoulder it and carry it through, sustain that weight that's crushing you. Jesus bore the curse. He shouldered the curse which lay upon you and me. And so here's the thing. We deserve eternal death, and we receive eternal life. We are full of sin and guilt, and we receive righteousness. We deserve to be damned, and we get grace. We deserve to be cursed, and we are justified. See the beneficial effect of Jesus' suffering. As the Catechism says at the end of question 37, of gaining for us God's grace, his righteousness, and eternal life. Three absolutely essential things. And how do we gain those things? Only because the curse of God was taken upon away from us and placed on our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. We read again in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, where Paul says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Instead of saying the curse of God according to the law is revealed. No, that doesn't say, it doesn't say that there. No longer the curse of God according to the law, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed to us being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says that because this curse has been taken away, taken away, and we receive righteousness, not my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness imputed to me, not your righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness, because he shouldered the curse which lay upon you. How can we be so sure that the actual curse of sin that lay upon me was actually plucked out, taken out of the way, removed? Well, it's because of Galatians 3's teaching, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, 
having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. You see then why Jesus Christ had to hang on a tree, be put on the cross, so to speak. It is very significant that he was killed that way. If he had been simply stoned to death, which was the method of Jews normally used to execute a person, if had he simply been run through with a Roman sword like Roman people would often be executed with a sword, then we would never have the absolute evidence and confirmation that Jesus Christ's curse was removed from us. But when he gets hanged upon the tree, then we know for sure. Then we know for sure. For you see, there's no other way that the curse of God could have been placed on Jesus and registered with him, but by him being hung on a tree, him being crucified. Why? Because this was the means God had determined by his holy law as the way to manifest his perfect, severest justice and judgment, that of a person being hung on the tree as Deuteronomy 21, verse 23 tells us. In this way, brothers and sisters, we can be convinced. You can be absolutely sure that your curse has gone away and that Christ indeed can now be that propitiation for your sins. And you gain righteousness and eternal life as part of an ever-flowing stream of God's grace and love to you through your faith in the crucified Lord Jesus Christ. This is your only comfort in life and in death. There is no other comfort. Indeed, again, turning to Romans chapter 3, hearing Paul's words, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God is to say no longer the curse of God, but the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. When you are declared righteous by faith, all the guilt of your spiritual filth, the lifetime of all of your acts of disobedience, all the wickedness you've ever thought and been part and parcel of, all the horrible sinfulness of your sin is forgiven and is entirely removed, you are made right with God completely. No fear of being cursed. This is the beneficial effect of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ for you. Paul reinforces further at verse 23, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. 
Yes, that first. And then second, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely justified means to God legally declare you righteous before him apart from the law without any effort on your part, without, without any cost to you, but freely imputed, freely justified, freely given by his grace through faith. You see, when the curse of sin, when the curse of the law of God with you is removed, then this is what you got left over. The righteousness of Jesus it's freely imputed to you. That's how God works. This is, if you will, the mechanics of his grace worked out in history on the cross for your sake. This is what you have left over, the freely given gift of God to you, the freely given gift of everlasting life in Jesus Christ. Perfect righteousness, which none could ever take away from you. A devil who can never destroy you. A hell which you will never be able to enter. But only the glories of heaven. For all, says Paul, and upon all who believe. For all who call upon him in truth, in faith. Have you all called upon God in Christ in truth and faith? You know this business about your sin. You know this business about the curse of God is real. You know your crucified Lord who hung for you, cursed for you and for me. God's grace our salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, we thank you for the good work that you began to do. What you promised in ages past to our forefather Abraham, that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And in the fullness of time, his seed indeed came to live to lead the glories of heaven and to be our savior on this earth, to suffer for us that we may enjoy eternal glories with him. We thank you, Father, for the perfect work of the Lord Jesus, how he suffered and died and he arose to give us life. May we ever praise him May we ever bless his holy name. Amen.